Welcome to the Tuesday edition of Unexpected Points. I'm your host, Kevin Cole. The game last night, I'm going to, a little mea culpa here for my football guy-ness, my football fandom, that uh, I went to sleep. And during the third quarter, <laughs> during the third quarter of the game, um, I did watch it without having found out the score in the morning in between getting some stuff ready for my kids school and coming back early. Um, life's hard, you know, life's hard out here for us East Coast dads, something uh, something that, you know, we need to think about a lot. And we we're thinking about sending our thoughts and prayers to different people out here. East Coast dads, we got. Sunday night football, which was a slog at best to get through, you know, Monday morning, got to wake up kids school, got to be at the kids school by 750 in the morning. Uh, Takes this toll by the time we get around to uh, Monday night football and these teams, the Giants and the Cowboys, they, they were not helping. They were not helping me stay awake the first two and a half quarters of this game. But the last quarter and a half quarter and a third pretty darn good football uh pretty darn exciting at least for those of us who like offense you know I'm sure there are plenty of uh uh, people who love defensive line play that were enjoying Demarcus Lawrence living in the backfield for the Giants the entire first half and everything that was going on there but anyway I did catch up, did watch everything, did have all the numbers, did run everything this morning you'll have your adjusted scores for this game, I'll go over. I may even need to do an adjusted adjusted score, which I'm sure would go over extremely well on social media. Because anyway, I, I'll get to it in a second. But it's a little bit closer according to the adjusted score than I think it was in reality here. And I know because I know the methodology for how it's calculated, and I'll explain it here. I know why that's that is the case. Talk a little bit about the pressure versus sack conundrum. And Sachs being a quarterback stat, Daniel Jones is a perfect example getting into that. I reran all my numbers this morning with quarterbacks, what Sachs should be allocated to quarterbacks, what Sachs should be allocated to their, their blocking based upon time to pressure and things like this. Um, so we'll get into that. And that'll be part of the Daniel Jones discourse for a game where he looked pretty good. At least he definitely picked up a lot of gains on the ground and uh, went down, though, a ton and faced a ridiculous amount of pressure. And then I'm also going to preview the Thursday night game. Big game, not only is it the surprising 3-0 Dolphins versus the maybe a little bit surprising 1-2 Bengals. Huge implications for the AFC North, for the AFC East, for the AFC playoff picture generally. Huge, huge game coming up on Thursday. And I think with all the narratives of what's happened early in the season – we're going to have to, you know, put the proper context on here, looking at the betting markets, what the people in the desert are saying about this one, because that is probably also unexpected versus the narratives going around about these two teams right now. All right, let's dig in. Without further ado, get to all the numbers here for the Monday Night Football matchup between the New York Football Giants and the Dallas Cowboys. This one closed with the Giants as a one-point favorite. Uh, the Cooper Rush factor, of course, coming into that there. Giants 2-0 coming into this. I angered Giants fans by suggesting they were in the conversation for one of the worst teams to start 2-0. and You know, I was trying to be a little bit hedgy with in the conversation, but um, 
they, they actually looked decent in this game. Final score, though, they did lose. So I don't have to hear about it from Giants fans in my mentions here today. So that's good. Uh, they did lose 23 to 16 to the Dallas Cowboys. The adjusted score, and this is this, I'm gonna go through this in, in maybe pain, painful detail here. Uh 25-24 Dallas. So only a point, which is surprising because it felt like they controlled this game a decent amount. Um, they had a higher success rate and success rate feeds into this. Their total success rate was 72% versus only fifth. I'm sorry, 72nd percentile success rate versus a 50th percentile. So about an average success rate for the giants. Um, some things that, that brought that brought this closer together. Uh, number one, Graham Gano missed field goal. So that one, while it wasn't a gimme sort of field goal, it tied for being the most, Actually, it was gimme-ish, though, for an NFL kicker. Um, It tied for being the most impactful play of the game. If we look at, on an absolute value, whether expected points went up or down on a particular play, it tied for being the most impactful play of the game. It's a big deal when a field goal is missed, especially from a range where you're expecting it to go in. You have the loss of points, and you have normally pretty good field position for the opponent on the other side, which causes it to be more then a three-point loss. It was a 3.2-point loss for the Giants on this one. So that narrows the adjusted score somewhat on that play. Um, the other factors that came into play here that we're narrowing it a bit is that the Giants were not very good on third and fourth down. Part of that is their fault, of course. Part of that is luck. You know, sometimes, like, the Chiefs were very bad at converting on third down this last weekend. Normally, they're great. Um, it doesn't always happen either way. They were one of 11 on third down and then 0 for one on fourth down. So they lost about six, seven expected points versus what you would have there. It's kind of like expected, expected. I'm getting too many expected here, but they lost about six points versus what you would have expected them to have if they had league average conversion rates based upon down and distance and field position in those circumstances. So that was another big one that again, narrows the uh, actual score to the adjusted score. And the one interception that Daniel Jones had at the end of that game there, the Trayvon Diggs interception, we did not judge that as being a turnover worthy play because the receiver stumbled and didn't get out of his break properly on that one. So I, I discount that a little bit. I don't fully discount it. I don't just wipe that off because the team made a mistake, but Receivers falling down on routes and that leading to an interception is a little bit lucky. It says the worst case scenario if a receiver falls down on a route is that the quarterback targets him and it ends up being in the defender's wheelhouse to be an interception. It's kind of a worst case scenario sort of thing. So we discount that a little bit. So that that narrows the adjusted score a bit here. Um, One reason why I say we might need to have an adjusted adjusted score that it really, in my opinion, was wider than 25-24 in reality here, is that the drops come into my calculation here, but it's hard to get the exact impact for the drop. So the drop rate in this game, Daniel Jones faced a 13% of his attempts were dropped versus 7% for Cooper Rush. So I make adjustments based upon that. And blindly without being able to parse the film on all of this 
you would say, oh, well, a higher drop rate, if you regress that back to what would be an average drop rate, the Giants were hurt more by drops than the Cowboys were. Now, the reality is if we saw it, the and sometimes with these drops too, I'll just say when we're grading, we're doing our best job we can to assign it to either being a drop or something that was just too difficult to catch. Um, so some of them are 50-50-ish sort of things, but we're allocating them fully as as drops in there. Now, what wasn't accounted for, and this is why, again, I think it could be a little bit wider here, the adjusted score and closer to the actual score in this game, is that the CD Lamb was by far the most egregious drop. Like, you're just not going to see that happen very often. A professional NFL wide receiver drop one that, that was that easy of a catch. It wasn't over the shoulder or anything like that. And it was the most impactful. It would have been, you know, a huge play, maybe even a touchdown on that one. I think too often announcers just automatically assign everything as being a touchdown, even when there's a defender in the area. But there was a pretty good chance that he was going to get into the end zone on that one. It would have been a huge, huge play. So that doesn't quite feed into my calculation, too. And that's and that's part of it to explain why I think the Cowboys were much more dominant in this game. Another thing that factors into it a little bit is that the Cowboys had about a 50% pass rate whereas the Giants were up around 70 percent so even though they have similar success rates on some of this or I should say the 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 Cowboys had a better success rate it ends up narrowing the actual impact there when a team is passing more often and still able to be successful Um, they're normally gonna have more upside but this Giants team just does not have much upside with their passing game I saw a stat last night during the broadcast that they had, didn't have a single pass of more than 25 yards so far this season. So that's another thing that's not always going to feed into the models is really this assumption and just knowing that fundamentally this Giants passing game is struggling, making big plays down the field. Now they are making big plays running the ball. And I'll talk about that a bit as part of this game. Let's go over some of the quarterback numbers in this one. So our grading Uh, A little bit more harsh here on Daniel Jones than on Cooper Rush. If you look at the final grades here, Rush finishes with an 82.1 grade. Daniel Jones, 59.7. Despite the fact that Jones did not... Well, Jones had two turnover-worthy plays that did not end up being interceptions. So that's, that's part of the thing here. He also... You know, took a bunch of sacks. I think we could be a little bit more harsh as far as the six sacks are concerned that he had here. But part of that is on him. And that's the real interesting thing. Six sacks for Jones in this one. Pressure was the story of the game. Six sacks, 31 pressures. So he had 31 pressures and he dropped back the pass 43 times. Uh, doing some quick math on that. 65% pressure rate is pretty absurd how high that is. But... The fast pressure rate, the quick pressure rate, the ones I like to focus on that come in 2.5 or less seconds, 30%. So more than half of the pressures were coming after 2.5 seconds because he's holding the ball, he's moving around, he's scrambling, seven scrambles in this game. Um, So you have to discount that a little bit here. And some numbers that I have put together, and we'll, we'll talk about, we should talk about where Jones fits in and the landscape of how much credit are we giving him for these sacks versus how much credit are we giving the offensive line? Let's see if I can bring this up here. Okay. So I'm going to bring this up here. This is my calculation for sack prevention and by either the quarterback or the offensive line. Basically what I do is I look at on a, 
play-by-play basis, when are the time to pressures on certain plays? Certain plays, there's no pressure at all. And you look at how long the quarterback is holding the ball on that play. So that gives a credit to the offensive line, the longer the quarterback's holding the ball without getting pressured. And then other plays, you look to see how long how long it is until there is a pressure. And what you do is you can build this curve for offensive lines and for blockings and say, at a certain point in time, however long the quarterback holds the ball, we're making adjustments for blitzing, we're making adjustments for different, uh, you know, how far they're dropping back to pass. So scheme type adjustments. And then you say, for as long as the quarterback's holding the ball, how likely is it that he will be pressured or survive without a pressure, if you want to put it that way, at one second, at two seconds, at three seconds, at four seconds, and so on. And different offensive lines have different numbers for this. The worse the offensive line, the more likely it is, or the worse the blocking generally, or the better the pass rush even. But I'm putting it mostly on the blocking here. The more likely it is a quarterback will survive to a certain point in time. So by doing that, we get an idea of how many sacks would you expect with this offensive line QB agnostic, no matter who the QB is, what would you expect? And what would you expect versus a league average offensive line? Now for Daniel Jones, so far what I've calculated for him so far this season is that it is bad for the offensive line. They're in the bottom two or three here as far as how many sacks that they've caused over average, but it's a smaller number than what you, than what it is uh, for the quarterback. It's only, we're only talking about an additional one and a half, two sacks so far this season that they've created. And most of it was in this game last night versus Jones is more in the neighborhood of three, three and a half sacks that he's caused by the fact that I'm already accounting for the bad offensive line play. And then the actual sack rate for Jones is even that much higher than what you would expect with this bad offensive line play. Okay. Taking all of these sacks last night. A lot of these are happening after enough time has gone by where he should be able to get rid of the ball a little bit earlier, should be able to have a little bit more awareness on there. Now he's not, you know, the worst in the NFL by any means. Uh, In fact, Justin Fields is the worst as far as how many additional sacks he's taken versus what you would expect based upon his blocking. And that's really an egregious number when you account for the fact that he's barely dropping back to pass. You know, he has half the dropbacks or less than half the dropbacks of a lot of quarterbacks in the NFL right now. So the rate at which he's exceeding what you'd expect for sack rates for someone like Justin Fields is more than twice as much as it is for other guys, including Baker Mayfield's another guy barely dropping back to pass relative to others. And he's taking a lot of sacks. But Daniel Jones is right in that Joe Burrow area, which is interesting to me because Cincinnati's drop back to pass more often. So, you know, Burrow and his offensive line are probably a bit better, but they're in that same area code. And I do think they have some similarities as players, as far as holding on to the ball, wanting to make plays, uh, being willing to take sacks and to take punishment. Or in the case of Jones is whether or not he's, it's a willingness or kind of an obliviousness sometimes to the rush. And that came through in this game, but again, not being helped at all by his offensive line in this contest. Um, let's talk about the running here. Cause that's where Jones really brought his value. Not much as a passer in this game, but as a runner, uh, nine rushes for 79 yards on the ground. And this generated over seven expected points. So that's a huge number for these scrambles and design runs. Huge, huge, huge number here for Jones, because in those nine 
you know, scrambles or design runs. If he can't get those in nine of those seven of them, he got a first down. So that's highly valuable to, you know, get the first down, get a new set of downs that really adds to the expected points on that play. But again, the sacks, if we're going to quantify the points lost on sacks, it was about 6.4 points. So that wipes out some of the gains that that Jones has uh, holding the ball a bit longer. Uh, Let's go back to Cooper Rush for a second. I told you he was in the 80s for his grade. Nothing spectacular with no big time throws that we graded, but also just playing the game. No turnover worthy plays, no sacks. Uh, Got the ball out in 2.3 seconds versus Daniel Jones getting the ball out in 3.3 seconds. What's also interesting about Rush is uh, 9.4 yard average depth of target versus Jones was around six. So he's holding the ball much less, yet he's still pushing the ball down the field very well. Remember, Wink Martindale was on the other side in this game, the defensive coordinator for the Giants. Tons and tons and tons of pressure. Rush did an excellent, excellent job not taking sacks, quickly identifying where to go with the ball, including the fourth down conversion that they had late in this game, getting the ball out of his hands quickly, uh, being on time, and then also taking shots down the field when they presented themselves in this game. Again, not eye-popping numbers for him, but a really well-played game here. I think the Cowboys are, are got, uh, you know, they got a good one here for, for a backup. I thought that I was not expecting much for Rush here, but he's played pretty well so far in the games that he has played. Okay, where the Cowboys really played well, and maybe this is part of supporting Rush, is the fact that the running game, was good. 90th percentile in success rate and EPA. Um, Whereas the Giants had a low success rate, but pretty good as far as their EPA per play, mostly because of Barkley had that huge uh, touchdown run, that 30 plus yard touchdown run. And again, Daniel Jones adding a lot to that also for how well that they were doing there. I guess we can have a Pollard versus Zeke discussion if you want, but both guys were fairly effective. And in fact, Zeke had a higher um, expected points added per design run, although he didn't have more yards per carry. Pollard, 13 for 105. Zeke, 15 for 73. But, you know, Zeke was better at getting the first downs and, of course, getting the touchdown, which is a big boost to um, expected points added in the calculation here. Uh, Saquon Barkley, only 14 carries in this game, so that held down his numbers quite a bit. The Giants passed for over-expectation, about 8% over-expectation in this game. And they've been 6 to 8% over expectation in the last two games after being way under expectation against the Titans in week one where Barkley was running all over the place. This will be an interesting thing to watch. Uh, Dable, when he was with the Bills, quite often they were way over expectation as far as passing is concerned. Last year, the Giants under expectation, especially the last third of the season, they kind of just gave up, you know, typified by that. Uh, quarterback, you know, sneakish sort of run into the pile play on third down that they had there. They just gave up uh, in the last third of the season trying to pass the ball. So this could be a big difference for Daniel Jones this season. Something I was expecting, but just not getting any juice, not any big plays in the passing game so far. And with Sterling Shepard going down, looks like a very serious injury for him. Uh, Not necessarily going to get any better unless Kadarius Toney can get on the field here. Let's go to some of the receivers, talk about them for a second. C.D. Lamb, this is another thing where for three quarters of this game, he he didn't look like the wide receiver one. Not only did he have that bad drop, he wasn't really doing a lot with his targets. He wasn't really getting down the field. If anything, Noah Brown kind of looked like he was the wide receiver one in this game. But then Lamb finishes with 
uh, 87 yards, but on 12 targets, yards per target, not the most, you know, not the biggest stat for like wide receiver talent or something like that. You know, it's a talent to accumulate targets also, but you do want to see efficiency when you're throwing the ball to someone. And if you're getting 87 yards on 12 targets, so think about this like in a yards per attempt, flip around yards per attempt, 7.2 yards per attempt targeting your alpha wide receiver. I mean, it's not great. Uh, I mean, Noah Brown in some ways was a little bit more efficient because he only had six targets, but he got 54 yards. So it's closer to that like 10 yards per attempt type of number that you would really like to see there. Uh, with Dalton Schultz, if he ends up missing more time, I thought Peyton Hendershot looked pretty good. Uh, although he's hurtling, this guy's trying to hurdle on every single play here. And he made that bonehead play at the end of the game where he tried to hurdle to get the first down and then went out of bounds, which saved the Cowboys about 30 seconds. But luckily it didn't end up going back, uh, coming back to haunt them. And speaking of that play, the subsequent play, if you go by the numbers here, I don't know how much of a question there was at the point in time or online since I wasn't following around on what was going on in social media at this point in time. But at that point, when they did not pick up that first down, he went for the hurdle, got knocked out of bounds. There was one minute and 52 seconds left versus they would have been able to run that clock down to, you know, one minute and 15 seconds if he went out of bounds. So one minute and 52 seconds left. It was fourth and two They were on their own 46-yard line, the Cowboys, up seven. The Ben Baldwin bot, I'm going to go off of here, gave a slight advantage to going for it, 1.4% win probability. You know, that kind of puts it a little bit into the coin flip category, and it also puts it a little bit into the coin flip category because we're talking about the differences between punting and you have like a 93 and a half percent win probability in that circumstance uh, and why it's so high is that the other team doesn't have timeouts needs to go the length of the field needs to score the touchdown then needs to either I guess go for two if they wanted to win in regulation or win in overtime so it's like a lot of different things had to go right for the Giants for them to win this game so it's it would it's raising your win probability from 93 and a half to you know, 94.9. Um, it's something. It is the 1.4%, but it's not an egregiously bad call, I don't think, from McCarthy there. But the implied success rate on this, maybe you could pin into this and say they were being so successful running the ball that you should have assumed even a higher success rate on that one. So possibly a bad call by McCarthy there, but not egregiously bad. Uh, The big story, as I mentioned earlier, the flip side of the fact that Jones was taking so many sacks and getting pressured at 65% rate, an absurd 65% rate, is that it was just a rough day for the Giants' pass protection. Jones, part of the problem, being a little oblivious to the pass rush, but pass protection was rough, especially the rookie Evan Neal, top 10 pick there, gave up five pressures and three sacks. Demarcus Lawrence, who looks like he's going to be okay. He had a foot injury in this one, but he looks like he's going to be okay. He seemed to benefit quite a bit from the fact that they were directing a lot of help at Micah Parsons, and he's a stud, too, in his own right. Uh, Seven pressures, three sacks for Lawrence, only 27 pass rush snaps. So seven pressures and 27 
snaps. I'll do some quick math there. That's better than a quarter of the time he's getting a pressure, better than a 25% pressure rate. That's an awesome pressure rate right there. Huge game from Lawrence. And Parsons was a little bit slow to start, uh, but he had some highlight plays there. He did end up with six pressures and two hits, but he was on the field and he, he had more pass rush snaps than anyone else in the game. He did. He was in coverage on 11 snaps, but he's playing a lot. Um, he was on the field for 57 of their 67 snaps, which is a high number for someone who's primarily playing uh, on the defensive line or on the line of scrimmage. Normally, there's a little bit more rotation there. So he was playing a lot and a big number there. Um, one other thing I'll say about this game, which probably makes it a little bit like a little bit, a little bit of luck factor that ended up keeping it closer for the Giants was the fact that Daniel Jones did never fumbled in this game. You know, he's a big fumbler, always has been a big fumbler. He is not the most aware guy when it comes to the pass rush. And the fact that he did not fumble on any of these sacks and pressures and other things was probably a little bit of favor towards the Giants going forward. I mean, if anything, it's going to improve the Giants uh, power ranking in my numbers and it'll improve Dallas a little bit too. So if you look at all my adjusted scores, I take those, I make an adjustment based upon um, their offense and their defense, how they've played. And then I bring strength of schedule into this also to get an idea of, you know, how good I think these teams have been so far this season. And this is just based upon how they have played, you know, going forward, there's still going to be like, I'm going to give more credit to the Kansas city chiefs, even if they haven't played great so far this season, because we know what sort of team they are, but based strictly on how they played this season, maybe a little apology to the giants here. Now that they're two and one, they're not that bad. They're at 23rd in my power rankings based upon how well they've played this season above teams like the Denver Broncos, um, the Indianapolis Colts, the Washington commanders, uh, the New Orleans Saints, all those different teams are actually above a bunch of teams who are considered to be pretty good teams. They're only slightly below the San Francisco 49ers so far this season, although some of that is a, a really poor game with Trey Lance earlier this year. And if we go to the Dallas Cowboys, even with Cooper Rush now having played two and a half games, they are at 12th in my power rankings right now slightly above the Baltimore Ravens, believe it or not, because the Ravens um, have been so bad in, on defense or relatively bad on defense there. So above the Ravens, above the Cardinals, above the Titans, above the Chargers after a really rough outing for the Chargers, above the Vikings. So props to Dallas because I knew this defense would be really, really good. The fact that the offense and the offensive line and the in the run game has been pretty pretty strong and a big addition i think of jason peters also on that offensive line especially when it comes to run block and these old dudes can definitely run block even when the pass blocking may go away a bit there playing guard there uh it's been big for them and i'm interested to see if they can get back in the mix against the eagles going forward now you know two and one there aren't that far behind it's gonna make some of those games interesting if uh prescott can come back and he looked like he was he was moving around a little bit before the game and maybe that'll happen sooner rather than later okay let's get pay some bills before we get to a preview of thursday night here first bill we're paying is for DraftKings. i'm going to talk about some of the betting angles on this thursday night game and now that nfl action is in full swing DraftKings not only dfs but the sports book is official sports betting partner of the nfl we're talking touchdowns big plays even bigger wins New customers can bet just $5 on any NFL team to win and get 200 in free bets if they do. 
If that's not enough, everyone can boost their winnings with DraftKings stepped-up same-game parlays right now for every leg you add. You can boost your winnings up to 100%. With bigger payouts than ever, why bet on football anywhere else? To make things even sweeter, you can throw down on stepped-up same-game parlays once per game day all season long. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code PFF to get $200 in free bets if your team wins when you place a $5 bet on any football game. That's code PFF, only at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details. And once again, I'll plug the PFF app, sit-start decisions, rankings, articles, content, everything available in the PFF app. Go to your mobile app store, look it up today, and uh, use it to win your fantasy leagues. I had a nice um, point one point, one tenth of a point victory over uh, Ian Harditz, our one of our lead fantasy analysts here in our uh, home PFF league. So props to me on that one. All right, let's get to Thursday night. After having you know the Chargers and Chiefs, the first Amazon game for that week two game. Then we had a little bit of a step back. Brown Steelers. Maybe they, you know, they didn't know that was going to be necessarily quite a step back when the, you know, the schedules came out and everything happened with Watson and so on and so forth. Now we have a surprisingly interesting game here. Yeah, the Bengals have underperformed, but the Dolphins have way overperformed, which the game being in Cincinnati. This is going to be a really interesting one with the Dolphins and the Bengals, especially because the Dolphins, you know, they, this is going to be, it's going to be like a prove it sort of game for them almost every single time that they play. And while my, I'll go back to my power rankings right now, as far as how they have played so far this season, not predictive on how they will play necessarily in the future, but this is building into my models here. I have the Dolphins as being fourth. So far this season, uh, Buffalo, number one, Jacksonville, believe it or not, number two. Now, maybe we should discount that a little bit because Justin Herbert was out of it. But uh, 38 to 10, you know, uh, romping over a good team like the Chargers is going to give you a, a big boost. So Jacksonville, two, uh, Philadelphia, Eagles, three. And then the Eagles are hurt a little bit by their strength of schedule. Uh, 24th in strength of schedule. So, you know, easiest, one of the easiest 10th, 10 schedules in the league, whereas Jacksonville's 13th strength, strength of schedule. Miami uh, on their heels a little bit there at fourth. Then I have the Rams, Browns, believe it or not, uh, Bucks, Packers, Chiefs, and Patriots, surprisingly, in there to round out the top 10. So let's look at the numbers up for the power ranking. So I said Miami's at number four now. The defense is the problem for them in this number. Now they play the bills. So that's part of it, but they're, you know, top five in offense, as far as how they played so far this year, according to my adjusted numbers, and they are second to last in defense here, which is weird because you say they played really well week one against the Patriots. Well, the Patriots had a few fluky plays that kept them down in that game. And then the Ravens went off. The bills did not put up a ton of points, but the internals on their fundamental strength in that offense, especially extremely high, um, Success rate for the Bills in that game ends up hurting Miami there. So let's go to the Bengals. Bengals are a lot higher than some people might think. They're at 11th in this number here because their defense is ranked number one so far. Now, they haven't faced 
the a very tough offensive schedule. So we probably need to adjust that down a bit going against Trubisky, then Cooper Rush, then Joe Flacco is kind of a, a dream schedule for them right there. Um, but the offense has also been better than what their numbers show. They haven't been getting those explosive plays. Those will hopefully come around going forward. They got too many explosive plays last year. They weren't quite as good of an offense as what those numbers said. This year is the reverse. They've been a better offense than what the numbers have said because they have no explosive plays, too many sacks. That'll probably regress a little bit somewhat. I know Burrow takes a lot of sacks, but still too many. And too many turnovers. And that'll regress somewhat for the Bengals also here. Uh, okay, so the numbers, this is what the this is what the markets are telling us. Again, go yell at the markets if you want, if you're a Dolphins fan on this one, because as the home team, the Bengals are a three and a half point favorite here. That's a big, that's a big number. Uh, even getting up to three means the markets see you as being a better team on a neutral field. It would be more in like the two sort of range if we saw them as being equal teams on a neutral field. Maybe Miami's going to be a little bit more worn out because of playing in the heat. Uh, not as worn out as the Bills, but the Miami defense could be a little bit worn out having been on the, the, the field for 90 plays in that game, in the heat, in Miami, and now having to travel up to Cincinnati. So maybe that plays a little bit into this. Maybe the internal strengths, the fundamentals we think about these teams is a little bit closer than this. But you know, not only are you getting up to three, which is the key number, but you're getting over the key number at three and a half at this point. I think it was three before and it's moved up to three and a half. So I think it's safe to say that the markets see the Bengals at least being a better team going into this game with Miami having come off of uh, the heat wave game, playing so many plays on defense. The over under is 47. So it's not super high, right? I think it is building in some of that Bengals defensive strength that we talked about here, which makes the implied points a little bit over 25 for the Bengals and under 22 for Miami. So this Miami offense has been, you know, the big play offense that will, we're still a little bit of wait and see mode as far as the sustainability of doing something like that, but still, you know, fourth in offensive success rate for Miami 20th for the Bengals. So that's been, the big difference there. But then if we drop over to defense, the Bengals defense have been first in offensive success rate, the Miami defense 29th. And that's a big, big difference there. Again, turnovers has been a huge factor here. If you look at the total turnover differentials for these teams, the the Bengals have forced some turnovers too, but there's still about 10 points that they've lost on turnovers, whereas the Dolphins have gained 14 points on turnovers. Will that continue? I don't know. We'll see. Um, a lot of fumbles. The Dolphins have got a lot of fumbles, and I don't know if that is necessarily sticky going forward. Shockingly, they have about the same pass rates so far this season, but the Dolphins are 10% over expectation. That is definitely something to watch. It will be interesting in this game because Trey Hendrickson is having a great season, and that pass rush is playing really well for the Bengals. So it'll be interesting to see how much they try to lean into the run sometimes in this game, which they haven't been successful doing, how much the Dolphins try to lean into it. They just haven't been successful doing it. And on the flip side, the uh, Dolphins pass and rush game, they've been a little bit better. They have a li- they're kind of known for having more of the back end, but without uh, Byron Jones there, they haven't been nearly as strong in that regard, but they did drop three potential interceptions last week when it comes to there. I think the Bengals will try to run it, but they have not been good. Just not good at doing it, especially poor last week doing it, even though they ended up coming up with the victory against the Jets. 
Um, so far this season, we're looking at conversions, how they played on third down. Both offenses have been a little bit more successful than you would have hoped. And the Bengals defense has also been really, really strong on conversions. The last thing I'll hit, just so you have some high-level stuff going into this game as far as how the quarterbacks have been playing this year. So Tua, he's fourth in our grading now, updating our grading for everything that's in with the uh, finalized grading. First in EPA per play. And if we're going for Joe Burrow, all the way down at 19th in grading, this is a guy who finished first in grading last year, 19th in grading, 17th in EPA per play. So I think what's really built into this, and this is, if you're if you're thinking about betting aside on this at three and a half, I do like Miami, I think at three and a half, although it really scares me, the lack of rest uh, that they're going to have defensively in this one. Um but it really goes into how much do you believe what you've seen this season versus what you expected going into this season? What your what we would call your prior? Because your prior would be Joe Burrow, significantly better quarterback than Tua. Um, Bengals offense, materially, if not significantly better than the Dolphins offense, even with the addition of Tyreek Hill. You don't really know what's going to happen there. Um, defensively, you'd assume the Bengals defense is probably better than the Dolphins defense, they had a good run at the end of last year, but the Dolphins defense is very, was very up and down. At least it was in the past, the way they played a very aggressive style of defense. So it's how much do you believe that, that prior, which would put this game rather than three and a half, it might've been at four or four and a half, but it's not going to go all the way up to six. And that's the, like the next key number that we're talking about here. So it wouldn't be that different from what we're seeing now. Uh, so that's your thing. Do you think the three and O Dolphins, are you believing that or not? Or are you believing the one and two Bengals and how much they've struck, uh, they struggled? I'm believing it maybe a little bit more than the market at this point. I saw that it was three before. Now it's up to three and a half. I, I think at three, I'd let it go. I believe that the Bengals are probably still slightly better team until proven otherwise uh, with what we saw last week, the, the tiredness of the Dolphins. But at three and a half, I think I could lean a little bit here towards the Dolphins. And I think it should be an interesting and fun game for everyone who is watching. All right. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in on this. I do these reviews on Monday morning. I go through Sunday Night Football and all the different games there. The Adjusted Scores, everything from Sunday. Today, from Monday Night Football and a preview of Thursday night. And then on Friday, I will review the Thursday night game and preview the rest of the stuff that happens this weekend. If you enjoy what you're hearing here, you know, click the thumbs up here on YouTube or go and leave a review for the pod on Apple Podcasts. Leave comments in the YouTube if you're watching it there. I do look at them and then answer them sometimes if you have some questions for me there. Uh, Otherwise, I'll be talking at all you guys in a few days. Until then, enjoy things and enjoy this Thursday night matchup because I think it's going to be a great one. Thanks, everybody. (laughs) 